the center of all that we say and all that we do today and that he is our audience of one as we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning, Crossroads. How are you today? All right. Good night. How are you today? All right. That's better. That's better. I need you to practice something because you're going to need it later in the service. Some of you have started doing this over the last year, and I'm grateful because it helps the preacher when he's preaching. I need you to practice. I need an amen. amen. I need a praise the Lord. All right, that's good. That'll get you started. Just hang on to that for a little bit. If you're visiting by way of video, watching our live stream today, we're hoping that this will become the normal. We are abnormal, but we need to be uh, abnormal for Jesus. So that's a good thing. So we're glad that you're watching. If you're visiting here with us in the room, thank you for being here. There should be a Connect card in the seat pocket right in front of you. If you'll grab that and fill that out, and in just a little while... Uh, we'll have our ushers come through to take up the offering. If you miss the offering boxes, uh, then uh, you can place that Connect card in the basket uh, when it comes by in just a little bit. All right? So thank you so much. We have had a wonderful weekend with Dr. Neelan Brown. I'll be telling you more about that in just a little bit, but you're in for a treat this morning. I hope you did gather your um, announcement sheet on the way in. You might have noticed that uh, Operation Christmas Child, the shoeboxes are happening. If you didn't notice, just take a look over here and you'll see some of those that have been collected. And those are going to be headed up the interstate uh, in just a few days, November the 30th. We have slots for 15 people to accompany uh, our friend Sonny Callahan. Thank you, sir, for doing that. There's five, I think, five slots left. So if you're interested... If you would see him, you can make that trip together and uh, represent our church. This Wednesday, Wednesday at 11 o'clock, we have a special guest for our Wednesday midweek meeting. Ken Turner will be here doing a concert, so if you'll mark your calendar for that, it's going to be a great time. And uh, I, don't, I can't believe it. I'm excited about it because it just means we're getting closer to the end of 2020. Thanksgiving is around the corner. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I hope you've got your turkey, ham, all right, meatloaf, chicken. I don't know what lasagna. I don't know what you're having. Let me know because I'll decide whose house I'm coming to. Uh, November the 22nd, we're going to have our Thanksgiving service, and we are excited about that. And so mark your calendar for that. And a lot of other great announcements. If you'll be sure to pick up uh, this sheet, that would be, uh, that'd be wonderful as we uh, celebrate what's coming, of course, Christmas on the way and our Christmas play. There's just a lot of things. I just want to encourage you to pick up that announcement sheet, if you will, so you're up to date on everything that happens. Tonight, spend time with your family. <sighs> Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good? We will get back to some Sunday uh, evening activities soon, but the last few weeks we've just said enjoy some time with your family, and I hope that you have done that and been uh, strategic at that. Hey, speaking of Operation Christmas Child, I want you to watch this video real quick. Hi, I'm Carrie Ann. The castaways and I have been on this island for what seems like forever. Please join us on Saturday, December 5th at 7 p.m. and on Sunday, December 6th at 5 p.m. as we learn the true meaning of Christmas and meet some interesting characters along the way. See you there! That is awesome. Christmas play, I mentioned, it's, it's coming. That's a short little tease, so I hope you'll mark your calendars. Uh, mentioning the shoeboxes, let's pray for those uh, right now. Lord, we thank you 
for the opportunity to be Jesus to children all over the globe through Operation Christmas Child and these shoeboxes that have been collected. I thank you for our church family as they have pulled these resources together to uh, represent our church, but most importantly to represent you. We pray that every box that goes out, every child that receives one, would have uh, the discovery of who you are if they don't know you already and that they would turn their hearts and their lives over to you and come to know you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to do through that ministry. Thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts today in this service. We're so excited and pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning, even as we sing and as we worship, that we would turn our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hannah, come lead us in music this morning. And uh, if you're visiting with us, you have the freedom to worship in this place. I can't wait to hear what Hannah's going to share with us this morning. search the world but it couldn't fill me man empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough then you came along and put me back together now every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better. Turn shame into glory. 
come forward now uh, as pastor jack said we've got a few more openings for the uh our trip to charlotte we're going on monday the 30th of november the sign-up sheet is in the back back there so uh, uh just if you would we've got four or five slots left uh and he said my name but i'm gonna tell you if it wasn't for claudia martin i wouldn't be doing it so uh claudia thank you uh for everything you do let's pray Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house, Lord, to hear your word preached and to study your word in the uh, Sunday school hour that we, we just came out of. Be with us as we go through this day and pray that we'll apply the things that we hear today to our lives. Uh, bless these tithes and offerings and use them to the furtherance of your kingdom. We ask these things in thy name. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Here we go. The precious blood of Christ. I love that song. I want somebody to sing that sometime while they play it. Who, who could sing that for us in a couple of weeks? All right, we'll find somebody. That's a great song. That's a great song. Hey, real quick, Christine, one of our wonderful deaf friends, showed me this this morning, and I said, thank you. And she said, no, that's not for you. I said, oh, okay, thank, well, then no thank you. Uh, she made this, and uh, for the deaf ministry, we want to take them to the ark. They have a, a deaf day for the, at the ark in Kentucky sometime next year. And so she said, I made this, and if somebody wants to uh, buy it, we'll use the proceeds to help for that trip next year. So we'll figure out, thank you, Christine, how to auction that off over the Christmas holidays. Be looking on social media, and we'll be, we'll be letting you know about that. Hey, we have had a wonderful weekend. And I want to say uh, thank you to you as a church family. Uh, it has been a roller coaster ride of 2020. Uh, but despite that, God's been working. He's been working. And we have had a great weekend. On Friday, uh, Dr. Neelan Brown got to share with about 30 business leaders here in our community. They came together here in this room, and we had uh, lunch for them and just loved on them and encouraged them. And uh, several of them who left, I've already gotten several texts, were just saying what an encouragement it was because some of them, their businesses are, are struggling. And for them to be encouraged from our church and to love on them, and we gave them some awards. And uh, Neelan gave them some encouragement and a challenge. It was wonderful. Yesterday, uh, during the lunchtime, we had some ministry leaders from around our area come in for another luncheon. You figured out we like to eat. I hope you're tracking with me. Uh, we had another luncheon. We had a wonderful time. He challenged those ministry leaders as well. And uh, I know two specific people that wound up sitting at the same table. I was watching just thinking there's a God moment happening right there. God put that together. And we're going to see some wonderful fruit, I believe, from that. And then last night uh, here in this room, we had a wonderful community-wide service. Uh, if you missed it... Uh, I, I thank God that we recorded it, and I may surprise you one Sunday in the future when you show up to hear me preach, I may say, guess what? Your guest today, Dr. Neelan Brown, because uh, genuinely, genuinely, church family, every one of us needs to hear what he shared last night. It was just straight from the Word of God, and uh, when I drove home, I thought, wow, wow, he has he really identified the heart, I believe, of our church and where we want to move uh, as we seek the heart of the Lord. So it was fantastic last night, and he's going to be sharing in just a moment. If you missed last night, just a real quick recap introduction. Uh, he is married uh, to his beautiful wife, Tara, and they have seven children. Okay, yeah, I see some of you going, let's pray. Yes, pray for them. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I can't wait to meet his, his kids. Number seven, I think, is five or six weeks old. So be praying for uh, Miss Tara as she is at home with the kiddos. And uh, we are so grateful for that. He uh, formerly was uh, the leader at the Focus Leadership Institute with Focus on the Family. And then he also served as a dean of business at the Indiana, Indiana Wesleyan University uh, Devo School of Business. Uh, he has been in ministry for a long time, just a, a dear brother. You're going to be encouraged by him today. Uh, right now, he is the president of Trinity Academy in Wichita, Kansas. And a lot of the principles that he shared Friday at lunch and Saturday at lunch 
were from a book, he got to sit at his wife's uh, grandfather's feet, who is 95, soon to be 96 years old, and almost kind of record an autobiography of his life over his years and a lot of just principles that he's learned. He has those books. There are only a few left back at the back if you want to grab one on your way out. I know that would encourage him today. And then lastly, uh, we want to bless him. And you guys know my heart for blessing other people, and that has, is your heart because you've proven that over and over when we have guests come to minister to our church family. And so uh, we will have some baskets at the back as you leave today if you'd like to give a love offering for Neelan and his family. Did I mention he has seven kids? I just wanted to throw that in there just to make sure that offering is good. Seven hungry kids. So, hey, I mentioned the last year. We have we've done a lot. And by we, I mean we, you, and God. And when our staff over the last few weeks was just looking back at pictures of what God's done, it was humbling. Because despite COVID, if some of the pictures you're about to see, you, you were able to take the masks off that were captured in some of these pictures, you would not know there was a pandemic because God has still been working. So I want you to look at this year in review because uh, as we think about our budget next week and you wonder maybe, okay, what am I giving to? This is just a snapshot of some of the things that God has done through you, our church family in the last year. So watch this and then we'll worship and then Neelan will come share God's word with us. 2020 started off with a bang as we anticipated great things from God and marvelous opportunities for our church in our mission to make disciples who serve, shelter, and support the transforming work of Christ. The year began with remodeling our offices and making room for those that God has sent our way and in preparation for those that God would send our way as the year unfolded. We updated with some fresh painting and created a welcome center and began making more room for the children of our fantastic families that entrust us to minister to their kids. Then our world was hit with a pandemic, and we wondered what God was up to. We were reminded that the church wasn't a building, but the people in it, and we had a golden opportunity to be the church. Our church adapted to new changes and never missed a beat as we moved to drive-in services, drive-through graduations, and learn to connect with technology through platforms like Zoom. We connected as a staff through Zoom with our ladies' ministry, men's ministry, and even our choir, which was interesting, trying to sing through Zoom with different speeds of internet connectivity. Our media team quickly learned to live stream our services and blessed us with using their gifts to help our church stay connected. Summer approached and we continued to adapt by being the church. With our new college summer interns and a phenomenal church team, we put off virtual events like our virtual vacation Bible school. Our church continued to excel in their giving as we raised money for missions through a missions yard sale and barbecue. We even did some local cleanup with one of our own after a storm came through. As the restrictions during the pandemic lessened, we reached out to our community to provide something to do outside by launching our fall car and craft show that had been postponed from the spring. Record numbers showed up, grateful for something to do with their families and friends. We continued to prepare for the future by slowly moving back into a semblance of normal while maintaining safety with our services and ministry events and by updating our signage around the church. Despite the pandemic, our church continued to make Jesus known, continued to give, and continued to pull together as a body in a way that truly is unprecedented. Thanks to our Crossroads family and praise be to God who gets all the glory for an incredible year. 
To God be the glory. Can I get an amen? It's all because of him, not because of us. Let's stand together as we sing these songs of the church today. Our God, our God, and if our God is for us, then who can ever stop us? If our God is with us, then who can stand against us? If our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? Ah, what a wonderful words there. And then knowing that we are in the presence of our God and in his presence, things change. And then the holiness of God. Thank you. As we're going to sing holy, holy, holy to wrap up our songs today. You sing. All right, here we go. Let's worship together.
before Neyland comes, I just think about the holiness of God and how good he is to every single one of us. You know, Thanksgiving, we celebrate as, as a country in your homes, we celebrate Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. But you know, Thanksgiving is every day of the year. We should be thankful of what God does for us every day. And today is a day that we should be very thankful of what is given to us. I think about our health. I think about the Caps family and what they're going through and, and the, the tragic sudden death of, of Scott. And I think of life. God is good. And his love endures forever. I want you to pull up holy, holy, holy. And we're going to sing that again. And I want us to really just open up ourselves today. If you don't want to sing, you stand there and just soak in who God is. Take a moment and just let God fill you. If you want to pray as you hear the music, pray that God would speak as the spoken word is proclaimed today. Pray for your neighbor. Think about who you're standing beside. Think about the love that they care for you, but think about the love that you share with them. Pray that God would move and lives would be changed today, that when we leave this place, we'll be a lot different than when we came in so that we can touch others. Let's sing holy, 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 for God is truly holy. Let's sing that once more together. matchless name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be with you all this morning and to worship with you today. Brother Paul, am I doing okay? Praise Jesus. All right, brother, I'll take it. Dear friends, it is wonderful to worship together. And I have had a wondrous weekend here with the Crossroads Baptist Church family. And I want to thank Pastor Jack Eason, the entire pastoral team. I want to make sure that I thank Sister Lynette. Now, in my background, we call you Lady Lynette. So I want to thank Lady Lynette for blessing me with a wonderful meal. I tell you what, that food tucked me right into bed that night. I ate it. I got home. It was like a warm blanket on my tummy. Thank you, Jesus. Put me right to sleep. A quilt of food. There are a few things better than that. 
Thank you for the warmth, the hospitality. I want to make sure I thank every sister, every brother who has served to make this weekend happen. Meals were prepared. Tables and chairs were set. That doesn't happen by itself. Folks have been so gracious and so kind. So to each and every one of you who've taken a moment to say hello, to greet, to give a smile or a wave, I want to make sure I say thank you. I shared the other day, I've been told all the time growing up, people don't have to be nice. And when they're nice, they don't have to be nice to you. So with that in mind, thank you for directing all of your kindness towards little old me. I'm truly grateful. Uh, well, uh, I want to also uh, welcome those and say a good God bless you to those who are streaming in virtually. Hello to you as well. I know we are in this context where we have a couple different mediums uh, meeting at the same time, both in person and virtual, so welcome. It, there is a very good chance that my bride Tara and the children are streaming in right now in the living room of the house. If that is in fact the case, boys, sit down. Daddy's about to preach. Stop poking your brother, sit down and act like you know how to be in church. All right, I've taken care of that now. My fatherly obligations follow me everywhere. Allow me to make a beeline to the Word of God, and we'll see what the Lord has to say to us today. We'll be in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, if you have your Bibles with you. 1 Kings, chapter 17, and we'll take a look at verses 1 through 8. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Allow me to read those words into your hearing. It reads as thus. Now Elisha, the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives. Before whom, I, before whom I stand, there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Verse 8 will be our final verse we'll look at. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Lord, let the seed of your word fall on the good ground of our ready hearts and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to take as a thought this morning how to thrive when your brook dries up. How to thrive when your brook dries up. Pastor Eason mentioned a little book that I've spent about 18 months uh, sitting at the feet of uh, my wife's grandfather, now my grandfather, because I forced my way into his life a number of years ago, conscripted my position, Bishop Matthew Nathaniel Richardson who is preparing to turn 96 years old, has lived quite a life over those years since 19 and 25. And 
has served within the local church, within denominal, uh, denominational leadership, served within the U.S. Navy during the World War II era from his beginnings in Columbia, South Carolina in 1925. He's seen a lot of life, a lot change, a lot of difficulty, and a lot of happiness. We grew close uh, probably for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons we initially grew close to one another is because I had intentions of marrying his granddaughter. <laughs> I was strategic. <laughs> Shortly after our first meeting at a Sunday family dinner where I was introduced to the family, and that was a rather aggressive experience because they are one of those families who still get together in mass on Sundays after church, irregardless of where their membership is in or around the city of Altadena, California, they all convene at the same home and have supper together. And that's when my wife decided to invite me over for the first time. <laughs> I would meet a host of aunts and uncles and cousins and well-wishers, and a few of them weren't even family. They were just nosy church folk who uh, showed up to see the young man Tara was bringing home with her. But there at the back of the room was Bishop Matthew Nathaniel Richardson. I could tell he was the patriarch of the family because he's the only one who did not get up and work his way towards me to greet me. And as I careened my way through the house, from the entryway, through the living room, through the great room, and kind of made my way down the hallway into the rear uh, of the home, I noticed it seemed as though everyone who shook my hand, everyone who greeted me, everyone who gave me a hug, everyone who gave me a kiss, all the women who kind of stood there and just looked at me as though they were sizing me up for a little while before they said hello, would push me along the same direction. So I made my way through the pathways of the home, and there he sat. Bishop Richardson. This was a number of years ago. As a matter of fact, the reason I remember this so well is because in this first meeting, uh, Bishop Richardson and I would get up and go grab plates of food and walk back and sit down. Here's what I remember. The next time I would see him, I would have that meeting with him. We were actually graduating from our university that very weekend. I would graduate. I would head back to Northern California. I would come back two weeks later to live in Southern California because once again, I intended on marrying his granddaughter. But in those two weeks that I had headed back, he had a massive stroke. That is my one memory of him having complete ability to walk upright of his own strength. So it always stands in my mind. But what I remember most was we had an immediate connection. After the stroke, when I returned to Southern California, that's actually when I began sitting by his bedside, not when I was writing the book. He was convalescing, and I would visit the convalescent home that he was staying in. And let me tell you why I would visit the convalescent home he stayed in, because I'm a pastor's son from a little missionary Baptist church. And you learn very quickly as a pastor's child, the standard of care that many of our saints receive depends on how many people are visiting the facility. And I learned, show up with regularity. Sit there and see what people are doing and ask plenty of questions. Amen? Amen? So I showed up. First visit, we had a nice little talk. Next, vid next visit, he told me, bring your Bible. I brought my Bible. And he asked me a question when I sat next to him with my Bible. He said, what are you reading? And what is God telling you? That began our journey together. There in a rehabilitation facility, sitting by his bedside, discussing what I was reading and what the Lord was speaking to me and what he was reading and what the Lord was speaking to him. And who would have known a man at that time who was walking into his 80s would sit with a young man who was right there in his 20s, and we would begin to build one of the relationships that has most profoundly impacted my years on this earth. So much so that 
I was granted a front row seat in one of the most significant life experiences of his journey. When the Lord chose, by his good and perfect will, to call his bride, Mother Wilma Richardson, home to glory. I remember when she passed, we received a phone call from the family. But shortly after that phone call, I received a personal phone call about an hour or so later. And it was Bishop Richardson. And he gave me simple instruction. Here was his instruction. Tomorrow morning, pick me up at about 8 o'clock. We got work to do. Now, he never really asks me to do things. He kind of just tells me what's going to happen next in my world. Uh, He didn't ask me about my work schedule. He didn't say if it's convenient for you. No, he just kind of picked a start time and told me what it was. And I kind of had to call the office and hash that out with them. He wasn't too concerned about that. Pick me up at 8 o'clock. We've got work to do. And that day from about 8 a.m. until about 3 p.m., he allowed me to chauffeur him all around town as he made his final arrangements for his bride. And on that ride, we shared in stories, tears, scriptures, songs, and smiles as we went from location to location making arrangements the arrangements that a pastor only makes once in their entire pastoral ministry for the one the Lord had given him to walk beside him. And I know he had done this for years. In all the years of ministry, more than 70 years of ministry, he had been through this before, but there was something difficult about these arrangements, something different about these arrangements he was making. And I would argue with you, during this time, I got a front row seat to what it looks like how you thrive when your brook has dried up. When we step into the text, we're introduced to a prophet by the name of Elisha. We're not told a whole lot about Elisha's background. We're not told that he is the son of a prophet or comes from some great prophetic lineage within the history of Israel. Rather, we're told very simply that Elisha is a Tishabite from Tishba. That's what we're told. It's the whole of his story. Here he bounds onto the pages of the Old Testament scripture and he will become known at the point that he is caught up in the whirlwind. You know the story. The chariots come of fire and the horses of fire and he's whipped up into the whirlwind. We all remember the way he left because he is one of the few individuals mentioned in the biblical text who never actually dies of natural causes. God said, you've done enough, Elijah. Come on home. Pulls him right out of this thing. Ain't that the way you want to go? That's the way I want to go. God, sir, there have been some points in 2020 where I say, God, just pull me on out of this mess. <laughs> Send him chariots. I'll take them right about now. God pulls him from earth to glory in a whirlwind in the way only a great God can. He is this prophet who calls fire down from heaven. You know the story. There are multiple moments where to prove the power of God, Elisha calls it down from the heavens. That's who he is. His prophetic ministry is so significant in the life and history of Israel that when Jesus is walking the earth and asks his own disciples, who men say I am, one of the names they give is Elijah. This great fire calling prophet is not the son of some great preacher, is not from the lineage of other great prophets, is not from some church family that established the Baptist church, and you can't move that stone unless the Johnsons say so. No, he's not from one of those families. 
You can't change the choir robes unless the Smiths say so. No, he's not from that family. He's just a Tishabite from Tishba. Possibly there's a little lesson here as I work my way onto the brook. Let me say this. God chooses to use who God chooses to use. And there ain't nothing you and I can do about it. God picks to empower who he picks to empower, and there ain't nothing you and I can do about it. Here's the good, really good news. This is what I like about it. God chooses to save who God chooses to save, and there ain't nothing you or me can do about it. And I'm so enough glad about that because if other people had their opinions, maybe they believe I wasn't worthy of the cross. So glad God doesn't consult others on who he chooses to bless. God chose Elijah. And he called him just as he calls each one of us to a life of service. Here is Elisha's service. He appears on the text, and here is what he's doing. Verse 1 says, The Tishabite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Now, you got to know who Ahab is. Ahab is this king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He's the seventh king of the northern kingdom and reigned for approximately 22 years. Ahab's reign is marked by these words. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 through 33, it says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Not only was he a godless king, moving Israel away from the true and living God, but furthermore, he found himself in unholy alliance with a woman by the name of Jezebel. This was his queen. Her father was the king of Sidon. And scripture is clear of the life that Jezebel lived. If you look at chapter 18 of 1 Kings, you find out that she built a temple for Baal in Samaria, where she maintained 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah and killed God's prophets and abolished the worship of the Lord. This is a king that Elisha does not really want to deal with and you and I would not really want to deal with. But when God chooses to save us, God calls us to service. And when God calls us to service, we don't get a say in where we serve. He sends us out with his word. But here's the good news. When he sends us out even to the most difficult and trying points of service in our life, he gives us just what we need to make it through that journey. Ahab is so upset by the word from the Lord that there will not be dew or rain, that God acts preemptively and tells him in verse 2, and the word of the Lord came to him, and here's what God said to Elijah, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of Jordan. And the ravens, in verse 6, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. God calls whom God chooses to call. But when God calls us, he always calls us to a life of service. And that's some of the trouble that you and I face today in the kingdom of God. I believe some of us have gone from standing on the promises to just sitting on the premises. 
God has called us to move into a broken world and serve and make a difference. And even when we are uncomfortable with the calling, we must live it out. God calls who God desires to call, and God calls all of us to service when he calls us. But here's the good news. When he calls you into it, he provides for you while you're there. God didn't say, go talk to the murderous king Ahab, and I'll just leave you to figure out what happens next. After he speaks to Ahab, God says, now there's going to be a drought and a famine in the land, but I got a plan for you. Go to this brook called Cherith, and I'll have the ravens feed you while you're there. Can you see the picture of God's provision over his servant? I believe this is the picture of God's provision over each and every one of our lives. When God saves you, when God lifts you, when God turns your life around, he wants you to go out and share the good news with all the world. And it may become difficult, but he provides along the way. He says, go to the brook, Cherith, and I'll have ravens feed your bread and meat there. There are two interesting points here. Number one, God's vehicle for feeding. God says, I'll have the ravens feed you. Biblically, we know that these ravens would nest in the clefts of rocks, but these ravens were considered scavengers. This was not, these ravens would not be edible to Elisha themselves. Why not? Because they're scavengers. What I mean by scavengers is these ravens will eat anything. Typically, when it comes to the meat and the bread that these ravens would be choosing to feed their little ones, the meat would come from carcasses. Animals that were dead or dying or diseased would be the meat that they would gather. And God says, I am going to take these scavengers that eat dead, dying, and diseased meat and have them feed you. Now, here's the problem. If they bring Elisha dead, dying, and diseased meat, Elisha gets sick. But we know for a fact, biblically, Elisha spent one year here at the brook at Cherith drinking water and eating the bread and the meat brought by the scavengers. So what does that mean? It means that God had to change the nature of the raven to pick a different meal to bring to Elisha. That's what I like about God. God cares so much to take care of each and every one of us. God will work through systems and circumstances that otherwise couldn't help you just to bless you. God taught those ravens how to stop by Publix. (laughs) And how to pull a good meal together. And how to deliver that meal to his prophet. What does it show us? It shows us that irregardless of your circumstance, God is God and he rules and he reigns over all things and God can keep you healthy and whole even in the worst of circumstances. God can make a way where it seems there is no way. And here he does it through his ravens. Want to know something else interesting? For the entire year, we're told they bring the same meal, bread and meat. But in the agrarian society, in this point in biblical history, only nobles were eating meat every day. The typical family was eating vegetables and at times, if they had money, bread. But the meat was reserved for those who had money and who had status. So there's a drought in the land. Therefore, there's a famine in the land. And while there's a drought and a famine in the land, and many cannot find anything to eat, that don't make no sense. 
at a point where everyone is seeking anything to eat, God ensures that Elisha has the very best meal to eat for the entire time. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. When I was little, I didn't understand the way some of the saints would transition. What I mean transition is the way they'd cross the Jordan, the way they'd go to heaven. Because sometimes they'd be in the ICU, and they, they would have said it's stage four cancer, and the radiation, the chemo isn't making a difference anymore. And the saints would be coming in and out and waiting in the hallways because the doctors didn't want us all crowding up in there. But something interesting would be happening in the room where a saint was going home to glory and where the other saints were waiting to go see that saint and say goodbye. There would be singing, there would be laughing, there would be memories, and there would be happiness. And I remember Mother Pearl Jackson saying, baby, don't y'all weep for me. I'm finally getting to go home. They'd say, I'm finally getting to move upstairs. (laughs) She said, I'm tired of being down here. And I could see Jesus. He's reaching out his hand to me and he's calling me home. Don't you weep for me, baby. I'm praying that when your time comes, he's reaching out to you too. That's what I like about God. In the most difficult moments, he delivers that which you should not have. He delivers joy. And something tells me throughout this pandemic that's marked 2020, you haven't lost the ability to laugh. You haven't lost the ability to smile. While it seems as though the world is tumbling downward, you in your home have experienced the joy of God because God can deliver an exquisite meal in the midst of a famine. God can deliver joy when it looks like the world is falling apart and God can put light in your heart when everything around you is in darkness because that's who God is. Ravens to feed him, but also a brook of water. It's, we're told... Cherith is a brook that's east of Jordan. If you look at a map eastward from the Jordan, you'll see that brook identified. But that brook is actually more of a wadi. What I mean is there is a very thin stream of water from the Jordan that barely taps into that brook, that depressed area of land where water settles. And as that water settles in there, the problem with a wadi is wadis do not have large feeding streams, so for that reason, this brook would have run out of water very quickly if, in fact, there was a drought. So God sustains this source of water for over a year so that the prophet could not only be fed but could also have something to drink, which tells me at the point he arrived at the brook, the water was already there for him, which further lets me know While he was talking to King Ahab, God was already fixing up a brook for him. That's what I like about God. When God sends me out to do something, he's already taking care of my next step for me. When I don't see what's coming next, that's why my faith matters. Because it's the substance of things hoped for and my evidence of things I can't see. And even when I can't see what God's going to do next, all I have to do is keep walking and knowing that he's preparing my next step. He fed him by the ravens, sustained him with water from a brook, from a little wadi. God makes provision as we serve him. But here is the tension of the text. Here is the problem of the text. Verse 7, And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, I could accept this better if the brook had just dried up because he drank all the water. That'd be just fine. If it said, 
After a while, the brook dried up because Elijah got greedy and kept double dipping. I'd say, Elijah, you shouldn't have done that. But I believe everything that's in the biblical text is there for a reason. We're given the reason that the brook dried up. Here's the reason. Because there was no rain in the land. Why is there no rain in the land? Because just one year before, we heard Elijah give the pronouncement to King Ahab that there would neither be dew nor rain on the ground. The issue is not only that the brook dried up, but the issue is the brook dried up by God's own command. It is God who put the drought in the land that caused the brook to dry up. Why does God make decisions that we don't agree with? Why does God allow difficult life circumstances to happen that we don't want? Why does God take things away from us that we desperately need? Some of you have had this experience. You have waved goodbye to loved ones who you thought would be here just a little while longer. And it leaves you wondering why, God, would you take this away? This is Elisha's source of provision. It's what he depends on, and it's taken away. Some of us have had relationships that were supposed to be till death do us part. You're not dead yet. They're not dead yet. And yet you're apart. Life prevents, prevents situations. And God allows situations that are difficult, that are tough, that are hard to make our way through. It says the brook dried up. The brook was taken away. The provision God had prepared for Elijah, God removed from Elisha by his own hand and by his own word and by his own decision. God took the brook. Three reasons sometimes God takes our brooks away. Reason number one, possibly God takes our brooks away because there's more to our story. Elisha's story doesn't end on verse 7. It continues forward into verse 9. And sometimes God takes things out of our lives because he desires for us to remain in motion in our lives. And some of us, if we had the job that we mourned losing 20 years ago and we didn't know what we were going to do 20 years ago when we gave them that pink slip, we would have become comfortable there and we would have never stepped out into what he wanted us to do. So sometimes God allows a brook to dry up because there's somewhere else he wants us to be. And it's not about us being comfortable. It's about us living as he wants us to live. And for some of us, we can say in some relationships that fell apart and we didn't know how we were going to go on, we look back over the years now and we say, thank you, Jesus, that that ended because that was unhealthy and it was not of you and it was not what I needed and it was not taking me forward into your will. Some of the jobs we've lost, we look back now and we say, God, it was the right time for me to leave that place. Thank you for making it happen. It was hard, but I survived it, and there was more to my story. First of all, because there's more to our story, but second of all, possibly God allows brooks to dry up so we keep our eyes on him. Chinese church leader, Watchman Nee, once wrote, because of our proneness to look at the bucket and forget the fountain, God has frequently to change his means of supply to keep our eyes fixed on the source. Sometimes God moves things out of our lives because we forget 
The thing is a resource, but it is not the source. And we can become so attached to the persons and the people and the things and the accoutrements of our lives that we begin to believe we can't go on living without this thing. Sometimes that's why God removes those things. Sometimes that's why God allows some of our bank accounts to take a dip because we actually believe that the little money we make is what is sustaining us day by day. My bank account does not take care of me. That's why I do not wake up in the morning and bend at the knee and pray to my credit union. God cares for me. With or without the bank, God will care for me. If they take my job, they take my money, they take my car, they take my house. If they leave me Jesus, I can start all over again. Because God takes care of me. Sometimes God takes the brook because there's more to our story. Sometimes God takes the brook to keep our eyes on him. Sometimes God takes the brook. Let me say, every time God takes a brook, every time God allows something to leave our lives, no matter how difficult it is, we know this truth. Whatever God takes away, he takes away in accordance with his perfect will. Whether or not I can figure out why God allows hard things to happen, why God allows people to transition, why God allows jobs to end, why God allows pandemics to break out and I can't go to church anymore and I'm stuck in my home and I'm missing the fellowship that was taken away from me at Crossroads Baptist Church for a season, even when that happens, it's all in his good and perfect will. And I have to learn to accept this, that God sits high and looks low, that God knows what he's doing and God is working out his good and perfect will in the world and God loves me and even when it feels tough he's taking care of me let me say this the way my mama would say it sometimes God takes away the brook because I said so I didn't have those parents who felt like they had to explain why we were being asked to do what we were being. I know, I know, I know. Some of y'all not going to like me because you're in the new school parenting where you get with the kids and you try and reason out all the reasons you want them to take out the trash. And if they don't feel good about it, you sit on the floor in front of them and you tell them, tell me all the reasons you don't feel you should have to take out the trash. They tell you all the reasons. Then you ask their forgiveness for thinking they should have had to take out the trash. Then you get up as mom or dad and you go take out the trash. My parents didn't do that. My mama had two reasons. We were taking out the trash because this is my house and I said so. <laughs> exhibit A and Exhibit B. But she always gave you a third option. Are you ready? If you don't want to take out no trash, get out my house. <laughs> and, and I'd take out the trash. Because God said so. When we trust our loving Father, even when he takes things away and we cry and we toss and we turn at night, we can look towards the heavens and say, Lord, I trust what you are doing right now. I don't understand it. I can't fathom it. It hurts me. I'm a little angry. But because you said so and because your will is good, I will give up this brook. Because he said so. Now, how do you thrive when your brook is taken away? Here it is, and I'm finished. Hope I haven't preached too long, Pastor. Verse 8, and I'm done. 
my favorite verse of this whole text. Verse 8, after the brook dried up because of the drought in the land, then the word of the Lord came to him. God never told Elisha where his next drink was coming from. God never told Elisha where his next meal was coming from. The ravens had gone and the brook had dried up. But verse 8 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him. Now, that may not move you. That may not make your toes start tapping. That may not make you shuffle in your seat. But this is when you talk about the God who stepped out on nothing and began separating darkness from light before there was darkness or light. This is the God who spoke the cosmos into existence. This is the God who spoke out animals and animals populated the earth. This is the God who spoke out sea creatures and it began teeming with all types of life to the very depths of the oceans. This is the God who said, I want a mountain over there and it crested out of the earth. This is the God that said, we need some greenery and suddenly fields were stapled all across with dandelions sprouting up. This is the God that gave the hyena its laugh, the turkey its gobble gobble, the dog its bark, the cat's its meow, the peacock its feathers, the rooster its strut, by nothing but his word. And when he took away the brook, he left him with a word. That's all I want to say. The way you thrive in the midst of losing a brook, the way you thrive when God takes things away is you hold on to his word because he's always left you his word. Now, nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. So let me tell you a little story. My daughter, Savannah, when she was two years old, lived for one thing and one thing only. That was to get her next juice box. All she ever wanted was juice boxes. When I'd be working in the office, she'd run down in the home office, say, Daddy. Yes, Savannah, can I have a juice box? I'd say what every husband should say. Go ask your mother. She'd run upstairs, and I hear, do 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 up the stairs, and she'd say, Mommy, can I have a juice box? And if Mommy said, you can have a juice box, here she'd come right back now, say, do 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 Daddy, yes, Savannah. Mommy, can I have a juice box? And I'd say, Savannah, I have to finish this document. When I get done, I'll get you your juice box. Here's what's interesting. I would turn my seat away from Savannah, focus back on my computer screen, and continue working on the document, but she would not stay there staring at me. She would run out into the front room of the house, and down the hallway, I'd hear her favorite song. Juice, 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 juice. I'm gonna get some juice, juice, juice. I got apple juice, orange juice, grape juice, fruit punch. I don't know which one I'm gonna choose because there's so many juice boxes in my house. But I'm gonna have some juice. I love juice. Juice box, juice box, juice box. I'm having juice. It's gonna be good juice. <laughs> this little girl would sing and dance about something that hadn't shown up yet. This little girl would shout and celebrate and laugh when her daddy hadn't even moved to do what he said he was going to do. She did not sing, dance, and shout with joy because I had done it. She sang, she shouted, and she danced with joy because she got a good daddy. <laughs> and when you got a good daddy, you know your daddy is not going to tell you anything that he is not going to do. So when he says, I'll keep them in perfect peace, who keep their mind stayed on me, that means God's peace is on the way. When he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, that means he hasn't left you and he has not forsaken you no matter how dark the day gets. Because when you got a good daddy, 
you can shout and dance on his word. Even when it doesn't look like everything else is coming together, you can sing a song. You can have a dance in your feet because good daddies always follow up on their word. That's how we thrive when the brook dries up. Lord, I pray that your word meets us today. Those who may be facing a dried brook, wondering how life will be sustained, how it will go on. Lord, remind us that you've left us the promises of your word. Help us in the midst of pandemics, social upheaval, significant difficulty. Help us, Lord, to stand on the truth of your word, that we have a good, good Father who cares for us, loves for us, stands by his word. Teach us to thrive even when the brook has dried up because you love us and your plan is good and perfect. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you for that encouraging word. I don't know how God's spoken to your heart this morning, but I know he's spoken to mine. And in just a minute, we're going to stand together. We're going to have a song of invitation. And uh, I know it's a little different up here than in the sanctuary, but if, as we did last night, many came down. If you want to kind of use these chairs and kneel here or sit here at the front and just pray, if you'd like to uh, need somebody to pray with you or just speak to you, I'll be here. Uh, Heath, if you're in here, I'm not sure if you're in here, you're come up as well if you would and join me. And uh, I believe God spoke to everybody in here. Some facet of your life, God spoke to you. And I want to encourage you this morning uh, to respond. You can respond there at your seat, of course, but if you need to come down this morning, do so. Maybe your brook is dried up. Maybe it's never been filled. Maybe this morning you'd say, I need to have that relationship with the God of the universe that Neelan was talking about. If that's you this morning, I invite you to come down. If you need to recommit your life to Christ and say, Lord, would you refill that brook today? Then I'll be down here as well. Would you stand and let's have that song of invitation. You come as God has led you and whatever he's led you to do, please come and share that with us this morning.
church, I want to ask you to sit down and be seated just a second. Uh, I know that you don't visibly have to walk an aisle to indicate God working in your heart. I know that. Um, but sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes that's where accountability comes in. That's sometimes how people know how to pray. And uh, I, I so appreciate that word this morning, brother. And I, I told our worship team this morning, if you were here just this weekend for me, home run, grand slam, praise the Lord. But I know all of us have been encouraged. And uh, just to think about this morning uh, and surrender, which is a great invitation. Him, I would just ask you this morning, have you done that? Because God does sometimes throw us what we think are curveballs. And I had one of those similar experiences. I mean, 10 years ago, when our house, Lynette and our house was on the market for two years in Spartanburg, and we were like, God, what are you, what are you doing? The brook had dried up. What are you doing? Had we not stepped out in faith, and here's the reality, we really didn't have any other choice. Because the world was going to keep on moving, regardless of what, whether or not we said, God, you're right, or God, you're wrong. It didn't matter. God was going to keep on moving. So we had a decision to make. Are we going to get on the God train or are we just going to sit here and pout? And finally, after two years, our house sold and we moved to Greenville. And I would not be standing in this place if it hadn't happened. God loves you. He's got a plan for you. It's above and beyond, immeasurably more than you can ask or think. It's incredible. But you'll never know the joy of it to you do what we just sung I surrender I surrender that's why when some of us worship we do this it's not that we're getting charismatic although that's okay we can use a little more of that it's you raise your hand saying I surrender I surrender to you God you're my daddy you know best I surrender so I hope you've done that today I want to just ask our musicians just to play that one more time and for you just right there in your seat to pray and you can do that right where you're seated just say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. Would you do that in this moment? If you need to do business with God, I'll just remain standing here and we'll pray in just a minute. Say, Lord, I surrender. It could be a job. It could be a career. It could be a future step. It could be some area of your heart where you just need to say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender all. so much. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, as you leave today, I think there's a couple of baskets back there. There you go. The guys have got some baskets. If you want to put uh, in uh, a 20 or 50 or 100 or $1,000 bill uh, for those seven children and, and Neelan and his wife, we want to bless them uh, as, they, uh, as he's ministered us. And she has, even though she's not here, she has ministered to us by allowing him to, to come out. And we're going to get the calendar and get a date for next year uh, for you to come back. Would that be all right, church family, to have him back? Praise the Lord. Amen, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you have a good night tonight. It is family night, so spend some time with a family or neighbor and uh, reach out. And uh, thanks for your, uh, 
your attendance here this morning. And let's see who can. By the way, my mom is visiting this morning. This is my mom over here. Thank you, mom, for coming to visit with us. Uh, let's stand, and, and, and I know if you're close to a family member, you can grab their hand. If you're still social distancing, put out your chicken wing, and we'll pretend like you're, you're touching. And let's have a closing prayer uh, together. Lord, thank you for your love for us. You do love us. Thank you for the brook that you provide when everything else seems to dry up. And thank you that even when that brook dries up, you speak. And through the power of your word, you change our lives and our hearts and our direction. Sometimes it's painful to say thank you for that. But we thank you for it. So we know you love us and your plan for our life is way beyond anything that we could imagine. It's so much better than what we could design on our own. So thank you, creator of the world, that you love us enough to care for us that much. Thank you for Neelan. Thank you for his heart for you, for his giftedness, for his family. Pray for your continued provision for them, for wisdom as they make decisions and for the future, for where you want them to be, that, God, you would just continue to lead them and guide them. And thank you for the service that we've had today, for this weekend, for the impact. We pray, Lord, for the seeds that have been planted, that much, much fruit would come in our community, and families and individuals would come to know Jesus. Lord, they would grow in their faith and our community would be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.